Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to fellowship and read your word and to see what you would have us to see. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come and guide us and lead us and show us what you would have us to learn from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 10. We've just got over this chapter where David blesses Meshibosheth, and the only reason Meshibosheth is blessed is because he is the son of Jonathan. And David takes a lame man and promotes him and, and puts him in the palace and has him eat at his table, gives him all of his father and grandfather's possessions, and puts servants in charge of it, and puts his Meshibosheth's son over that area. And now we're looking at chapter 10, verse 1. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for, for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanan, their lord, Think you that David does honor your father, that he has sent comforters unto you? Has not David rather sent his servants unto, unto you to search out the land and to spy it, to overthrow it? Therefore Hunan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, and cut off their garments to the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. Then they told it into David, when they told it to David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry in Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. So we're going to look at this uh, little section of mistreatment. Uh, doesn't sound so bad to us necessarily, but in this environment and, there, and to the Jews, what, they, what was done to them was an exceedingly shameful attack on them and so it, it says that it came to pass that king that the king of the children of Ammon died and Hunan his son reigned in his stead just a statement of fact we don't know much about Hunan other than this one event and David said I will show kindness unto Hunan the son of Nadash, Nahash as his, as his father showed kindness unto me now I look to see if anywhere in the Bible Nahash is mentioned and he's not. I looked in commentaries to see if there's anything about the history in there of Nadash helping David. And nobody knows anything about it. They speculate that maybe when David was on the run, Nadash showed him kindnesses and that's about what they think and it sounds about, about right. But we have no idea when Nahash helped David, how he helped David, but David sees some reason to support his son and say, I'm sorry for your loss. And he's doing it, he says, because Nahash showed kindness to him. And David sends his servants uh, to him to give him comfort, to, to show, show appreciation, to go to the, go to the funeral of, of Nahash and just show sympathy and show that David is kind to them. These would be ambassadors. David sending ambassadors to the land. It would be very similar to if somebody famous, you know, some king or queen or, or uh, president died. The, our president may or may not be able to go to it, and he would send the uh, vice president or an ambassador, you know, ambassador, depending on how important that person was to to our country. 
And so David sends ambassadors. Your father's dead, you know, we want to give you, you know, we want to support you, we want to let you know that we're on your side. And they get to it, and the princes of the children of Ammon say unto Hanan their lord, do you think David is here to honor your father? Sometimes these young kings are uh, a little bit off, off their rockers. <laughs> Solomon's son, when he takes over the kingdom, the people come to, come to him and say, you know, our taxes are pretty high. Your dad gave us really high taxes. Would, do you think if you really want us to really be appreciative, would you lower our taxes? The good, solid, older statesmen that were with Solomon said, you know, that's probably a good idea. Go ahead and lower the taxes, you know, get on their good side. Basically say, eventually you can raise them if you really feel you have to, but at least, at least you would be showing the people that you're listening to them. All of his young friends come along and say, you know, you tell them, you know, you just wait and see who I am. I'm the king. <laughs> and says, you know, you think my dad's taxes were bad? You know, his, his, his thumb will, you know, you felt his thumb, my thumb will be like his whole thigh. In other words, I'm really going to put you under my, under it, and ten of the tribes leave him. Hunan has advisors like this. Now, whether they're older or not, we don't know, but, you know, they're saying, you know, you think David, David was being kind to you? David has just conquered all the land, all the lands that he needed to conquer. He's resting. He's enjoying life. Uh, and they're going, you know, we know David, David is out to get you. What bad advice, advice he gets. He gets this terrible advice from his servants. They go, he's out here just to spy on you. He wants to know where your weaknesses are. And then it says, Hunan took David's servants. He shaved off half their beards. Now, I don't know if he meant, when they say half, do they mean half the length of the beard? or one half of the beard. The reaction makes me think that it was one half of the beard. Down the side. Okay, because David says, stay in Jericho till your beards grow back out. I could be wrong, and there's nothing really here to tell us what it is. Why is this a problem? Because the Jews did not shave their beards. They let them, let them grow. Matter of fact, they barely even would trim them. If you, if you see the Hasidic Jews and everything from you know, New York or, or, or uh, Israel, they have very big bushy beards. They're not trimmed. They're not kept because God said, do not cut the corners of your beard. Do not put in shape. So the way they took that was you don't touch your beard, period. So these guys have had their beards cut. And even if it was halfway cut, now, now it's all straight and neat, you know, as far as that goes. It, there's half of it, you know, even if they took scissors and cut it, those are straight lines on it, and they're going to be very much ashamed. And if they literally cut half of it off, I don't know. It doesn't really indicate how, but they have been disfigured as far as they're, they're concerned. They get as far as Jericho and say, David, we, uh, we, can't come into the, we can't come into the city. Worse yet, he cut their tunics up to their butts. And... Things that I read about this while I was looking for Hunan, they were saying that the Jews did not wear pants underneath their tunic. So this is extremely humiliating to them. Now that one could be fixed. As soon as they get out, they can put some new clothes on. The beard they can't fix. But they're sent out of Hunan's palace, beards cut, tunics cut, being totally exposed. 
These are the ambassadors that David sent. You do not mistreat the ambassadors to a country without showing disrespect to that country. All right? If we do, if somebody does something to our ambassadors, as Americans, the, it's an insult to us as a nation, and it's an insult to the person in charge of the country, in our case, president. This was a direct insult to David. You know, they insulted his ambassadors. A major deal. And pretty stupid in one sense. David has conquered everybody he's gone up to, gone up to war against. And these princes incite the king to be stupid. And that's what they did. You know, they could have said, they could have done something easy, just expel them. And I don't know if they told him to cut there, or if that was just his childish activity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disrespect them and kick them out. It would have been one thing if he just said, no, I don't want you here you're, you're to leave my country. You're persona non grata. Get out of my country. I don't want you. I think you're spies. We do that. This happens even in our world right now. We just kicked out a bunch of, bunch of uh, ambassadors saying you're spies. And then usually what that country does is kick out your ambassador saying they're spies. And there's a tension between you. But there's not the disrespect. These ones have been disrespected. They have been criticized and disrespected in a pretty major way. And David is not going to be happy about this. I'm not going to take this lightly. And neither would any other nation, even in our modern world. If somebody insulted their ambassadors like this, there probably would be threats of war, threats of embargoes, threats of, of sieges, you know, there would be some ramifications for this. Now what David's going to do, we don't know, because it doesn't tell us what David was originally going to do. We know how they react, and David reacts to their, their preparations. And then it was told to David, and he said he went out to meet them, and they were, and it says they were greatly ashamed, and David said, just stay in Jericho, Jericho until your beards grow in. And then, again, it doesn't matter how they were cut, you know, just cutting them, even if it was with a knife, would cut a, a flat, flat area, which would in, just embarrass them. This was not the way a Jew was supposed to appear. So they would have to let it get a little bushy, a little, little uh, rough again, and, or grow in. And I kind of think they just cut it, the length of it, in half. Um, but it doesn't really matter. This was an insult. Either way, it's an insult. And David says, you guys just, okay, you just stay in Jericho. And David probably then meets with his ambassadors, his, his uh, advisors. What do we do? What do we do in this case? Verse 6. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before, the, before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired of the Syrians of Beth Rohab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and the king of Mahakah, 1,000 footmen, and Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out to put, to put the battle in array at the entering end of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Ro, Rohab and Ishtob and Mahakah were by themselves in the fields. Then when Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, 
that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage and let us play the man, the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seems, seemeth good to him. So here we see when the children of Ammon saw that they stank or were odious to David. How did they see that they were, that they were bad news to David? It doesn't tell us, but I can almost guarantee David sent a couple more ambassadors that weren't ready, weren't ready to be embarrassed with some declarations of, I want an apology. Uh, if you don't give us an apology, we're going we're gonna to come attack you and all kinds of things like that because these people know David is upset. <laughs> all right, that's what it says. They saw that they were, a, that they stank or were odious. Okay, David now is angry with them. And their reaction is, they go out and hire a bunch of, of mercenaries. 33,000 of them. So they hire 33,000 mercenaries from, from Syria. Um, not necessarily the best way because now David is really going to be angry with them. Uh, you know, he's already angry. They disrespected his ambassadors. I don't know that he was ready to go to war with them, but it was probably saying, you know, you're going to give me tribute or you're going to, I'm going to besiege you. I'm going to put, you know, tariffs on you, whatever it might be. And they decide, well, we're afraid of David, so we're going to hire 33,000 men. Not a very large army, but added to whoever, however large their army was, it would be a pretty significant army. Uh, and so when David sees 33,000 extra men being marched from Syria to Ammon, because remember, Syria is up north of Israel. So those 33,000 can't get to Ammon without David and his you know, spies and spy network and military network, intelligent network, seeing these guys move. It's not like they could go get in an airplane in Damascus and end up in Ammon. All right, they had to march from Syria to Ammon. And at some point, 33,000 people are going to draw just a little bit of attention. David sees it. So he goes to Joab. And remember, Joab is the general of David's army. And he tells Joab, gather up the troops and go fight Ammon. They have disrespected our ambassadors, and now they are preparing for war. We're going to go meet them. And David, in the previous two chapters ago, has beat everybody. He has stretched his kingdom from the Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean, all the way down to the wilderness of Sin, which is over by Egypt. He has gotten his territory. The, the, for the one and only time in all of Israel's history, David has established the territory that God said was going to be theirs. And Ammon decides to rebel and cause problems for David. I don't think this king is very smart. All right? David's been victorious over everybody, including some stronger people than, than this young man. But this young man, in his youth, youthful enthusiasm, somehow thinks, I can, I can beat David. None of these other kings have been able to beat David. The Philistines, the Assyrians, the, the Moabites, uh, all the Parasites, and all the other guys, none of them could beat David. But I'm on the other side of the Jordan. I can beat him. Yeah, pretty dumb. 
But he's young. He's, he's a new king. He's young. He's flexing his muscles. His muscles are not going to last. <laughs> um, Joab gathers up all the troops and he goes in and then when he gets there he sees that there's a pretty big battle array against him which means there's, he's got these 33,000 Assyrians and however big the army of Ammon is. And he gets there and he splits his army in half because we look at this and it says that the children of Ammon came out in battle against him out of the gates of their city. However many that is, they had the city for their back. back. And it says they put all these mercenaries out in the field by themselves. <laughs> now, if I was the mercenaries and I had none of the other army with me, that would make me a little nervous to begin with. The other army has the city to their back, so they have some place to retreat. I'm put into a field. As that army, I'm going to feel a little bit disrespected. Okay, what are we, chopped liver? <laughs> You know, you put us out in the middle of the field, we have no place to retreat. So they're probably not overly anxious in, you know, to fight to the death themselves. You know, the, you know, they've been disrespected. They have been almost disrespected as much as David's ambassadors were. Not quite as bad. You know, I mean, they haven't been physically, but they really have been, okay, we've got the city, you go take care of the field. Yeah, we know the field's a little harder. You don't have any hills to go to, but you go, you go out in the field and go fight this army. We're going to have the city behind. We're not going to be able to be encircled. We're not going to, we're, we're going to have it easy. Now, part of the problem, idea was that they were going to circle David's army. We have the city, and you're, you're out there in the field, and we'll, we'll, put, we'll put them between us. Because right? that's what Joab sees, and he splits his army in half. And Joab, it says, saw what was going on, and he said he took the best of the children of Israel and put them in array against the Assyrians, and Joab took them. He took the bulk of the army and gave them to Abishai, his brother, to fight against the Ammonites. And you can see by his attitude, this is, this is not something that's an easy battle. Joab, who's a great general, he's come from all these victories, is not saying, okay, we're going we're to crush these guys. He splits the army, and what does he tell to his brother? He goes, I'll fight the Syrians, and if the Syrians are too strong for me, I'll call for help, and you can help me. You're fighting the Ammonites. If they're too strong, and you, and you start losing the battle, you call, and I'll send you troops. He is not coming in this with the idea of, we're going to crush these guys with no problem. He sees he's fighting a two-front war. He split the army in, in half. He's fighting a two-front war and probably virtually outnumbered. He's taken the best of the army to fight the mercenaries, and his brother probably gets the bulk of the army, which is a, not, a, not a bad deal. I mean, this is a battle-trained army. These guys have beat everybody they've gone against. And he sets them aside, and his, say, and his statement is, be of good courage. Let us play the men. In other words, he's saying, We're, it is not looking good. We are not in a good place. Let's get ready to fight and take this battle. They're going, be of good courage, and let's see what God's going to do. They are coming into this battle not absolutely you know, confident they're going to win. Even though they've had a strong army that has won every place that they've, that they've gone, they're entering this battle with not a lot of confidence. All right? Because they're saying, uh, be, be courageous, be strong, you know, fight, fight your best. 
uh, and we'll see what God's going to do. So the one thing that Joab does right is he puts himself in the hands of God. He goes, these guys have disrespected our king, have disrespected our nation. God is on our side. Our king has sent us out. Let's see if God's going to give us victory, give us revenge on this guy, especially when he is raising a large army to come against them. Verse 13, And Joab drew nigh to the people and the people that were with him into battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. It doesn't even say that they went to battle. It says they just moved against them. I'm pretty sure there was some battle on this, but also I really do think the Syrians are a little perturbed. Okay, you didn't give us any of your people. We're here to help you, and you put us out in the middle of a field against an army that's been victorious against everybody that they have fought. And, you, and I think back to when Gideon was being called to fight. And God says, you know, he started out with 30,000, you've got too many people, 3,000, you've got too many, 300, okay, Gideon, you've got the right number. And then God says, okay, if you think that there's, some, that there's something that I don't know what's going on, you go sneak down in the camp and hear them. He finds, and he hears them talking about how they're extremely fear, afraid of Gideon and God, giving him great courage. Right, God, you've, you've stripped my army, you've stripped my army, uh, how are we going to win with three, 300 people? He goes down and hears them totally in fear. What does Rahab tell the people, tell the spies when they come in and spy out the land? We remember what God did to Israel. We remember what he did to the Red Sea. You know, we are terrified of your God. You know, they were coming in thinking that these people were not, not afraid of them and it was going to be some really hard battles. And Rahab gives them courage. We're, we're, we're told, you know, we know your God. We're afraid of you. The Syrians, I think, understand. They've been in battle with David. They have lost battles with David. And now here they are being isolated, not part of the, of the Ammonite army. And I think there wasn't much of a battle in front of Joab. I think they fled. I think they literally ran. They go, we're not getting paid enough for this. All right? We're not getting paid enough to go fight David by ourselves, even though David's not, you know, or Israel by ourselves. And I think they ran without much of a battle. It may, I may be wrong, but there's nothing in here that talks about a battle. It literally says, he went unto the battle against the Assyrians and they fled. And so I believe he just marched out and they fled. Uh, and again, you could, pick, you could hear them saying, hey, we didn't get paid enough for this. You know, we're, we're not sticking around. Yeah, we've been paid. We're gone. We got our money. Uh, they disrespected us when we got here. Uh, we're leaving. And remember, David had gone through something similar when he was going to go to battle with the Philistines. And the lords of the Philistines said, no, we're not going to have them go to battle with us against Israel because he might switch sides. And he went away. And remember, his men were angry. They were ready to fight Israel. They were ready to fight Saul. You know, David, I don't know where he was at. I don't think he wanted to fight Saul. But he was in a catch-22. He'd been pretending so long that how do you now tell them, no, I'm not going to go fight against against this king that I've supposedly been fighting for the last year, a couple years. But the men got angry. They were losing spoil. There's another event where one of the Israelite kings hire uh, mercenaries and God's, God tells them, you send them back. They, you know, your trust is in me. Your trust is not in the mercenaries. And the mercenaries loot people as they're going, going away because they're so angry that they didn't get to go to, go to battle. 
Because remember, the battle in this day was a big deal. When you went to battle, part of your pay was the spoil. You killed everybody you killed, you got to take their armor, their swords, their gold, their silver, their jewels. Why people brought gold, silver, and jewels into the, into battle, I have no idea, but that was common, obviously, during this time frame. So the Syrians depart. And verse 13, and when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians had fled, they also fled before Abishai and entered into the city. And Joab returned from from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. So both of the armies flee. How much damage is done, we don't know. But they basically have put them in their place. And this kind of shows us David's entire plan was not to ever go to war with these guys. But he reacted to them hiring mercenaries and decided to meet them in their own nation rather than wait for them to cross the Jordan and meet him in Israel. So he went and met them and won the victory. Again, it doesn't tell us how many people died, how many people it was, but the army went back to the city and the mercenaries left. And David obviously isn't too worried about the Ammonite army. Doesn't tell us which city. I'm, I'm assuming that it was the capital city, capital city, but it does not tell us what city. Uh, but it would make sense that it's the capital city because they're, they retreated back. And that would be the most likely place for the mercenaries to gather up and join the Ammonites. But again, you're right. It doesn't tell us what city they retreated to, but they retreated into the city, whatever city that was. Uh, and... Joab, rather than besiege the city and, and cause a lot of problems, he left. Again, David has never had the ambition to go attack Ammonites because obviously whatever it was that Nahash did for David, David is giving him honor. David is a man of his word and a man of grace in many cases. He showed Meshibosheth great grace just because he had promised Jonathan that he would take care of his, his children. And he showed Meshivasheth wonderful grace and, and gives him the place. He never goes out and kills Saul because Saul was God's anointed and he was not going to raise his hand against Saul. This individual, whatever it was that he did, David felt an obligation to him, an obligation big enough that obviously Joab was given, a, given uh, command that if they retreat and pull away, do not crush them, do not conquer them. All right? And I wish we knew what it was that this guy did that brought such great loyalty from David. But we don't. But his son is quickly using up all of that grace, all of that mercy, uh, because of his youthfulness and his indiscretions that he's following. He is doing things that are going to push David into a corner. But David says, okay, they've returned. They've returned, and we're going to let them go. Verse 15. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together, and Hadarez sent and brought out of, the, out of the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam and Shebath, and the captain of the host, Hedazara, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam, and the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before 
Israel, and David slew of them 700 chariots of, Syria, of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Sobak the captain of their host who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hedidah saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them, so the Syrians feared to help the, Ammon, the children of Ammon anymore. All right. Weird reaction even from the king of Syria. All right. His hired troops run away from the battle and take some losses, obviously, because of what this says. They get back. They talk to the king and tell them what has happened. And their king, Hadazar, the king of, Assyria, uh, king of Syria, gathered up all of his troops. And you know, he assumed that David would go, go after the mercenaries. They helped, they helped uh, Ammon, who was supposedly the enemy of David. So they come and they gather up their troops to go to war. Uh, weird response. They've already been beaten in two chapters ago. They've been beaten. They've lost most of their, their pay and tribute. But this king is going to say, well, David's going to be angry with us now because we sent 33,000 men to support them. We got to get ready to fight him. So he gathers up his entire army, whatever the size of that army is, to go out to battle with David. And again, David hears this moving of the enemy. He's got spies. You know, this is kind of an amazing thing. We know there's spies. There's always been spies in, in every nation, every, every place. And they always seem to know what's going on. There's usually spies right within the, the palaces, right within the government official places. There's always spies. And David finds out that they're moving. And in verse 17, it says that David gathered all Israel together. So he gathers his entire army together. And they go out to meet Hedazir for war. And they head out to Helam, which in this case, we do know the city that they're starting at. And uh, they get out there. And when it was told David, he gathered all of Israel. And they came to Helam. And the, the Syrians set themselves against David. And they fought him. They basically have nothing to lose. They've, they have been paying tribute to David. When a nation revolts, it's, pay, it's paying tribute or t uh, taxes, and they're, they're asking for it, and, and they know they're going to be in trouble. They had sent help to Ammon. What they were probably hoping, we'll send help to Ammon. When, we, when Ammon beats David, then we'll get Ammon to help us, and we'll really, be, we'll really be able to break the yoke of David. Their whole plan backfired. Now they've got to fight David on their own, because Ammon is afraid to move, because they've, they've been beat. And it says that David went into battle and, and they destroyed 700 chariots. Uh, we don't really understand that, but that's a big deal. That would be losing 700 tanks in a battle against somebody who had no tanks. David does not, is not depending on chariots. He's not depending on horsemen. Okay? He writes in the Psalms, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will uh, trust in the name of the Lord our God. So he does not have all these big things. And we see that God steps in and defeats this enemy with a stronger, heavier military. Uh, but David's army keeps winning because God is on their side. And God keeps blessing. He keeps giving them victories. Even when they shouldn't have victories, he's given them victories. He's conquered the Philistines. He's, conquered, he's already conquered the Syrians before, put them in their place. He's conquered everybody to the north. He's conquered everybody to the 
to the east, all the way to the uh, borders of the children of Israel to the, to the east. He's conquered everything, and the Syrians decide, well, well, we'll go to war against this very strong nation. It's an amazing thing to me how many times a small nation will go up against a, a big nation. I don't know what they think. I don't know how they think. You know, uh, why do some people, why does Satan keep attacking God knowing that he's going to lose? Somehow he thinks he might just do something that will get him a victory. Otherwise he'd stop. It makes no sense. But he is compelled to battle. The Syrians are compelled to battle. They have nothing to lose. They've violated whatever treaty they had because they have supported the Ammonites. And they are now absolutely sure that David's going to attack them. And to make sure that he attacks them, they decide that they're going to mount an army and attack him. The idea of the best, best defense is a good offense, you know, keep, you know, make the first strike. Uh, well, most of David's army is down there in Ammon. Maybe we move quickly. We might be able to conquer something before they can mobilize. David mobilizes very quickly and defeats him. He kills 700 chariots, 40,000 horsemen. All right, that's pretty good-sized cavalry. And he beats the cavalry with his foot soldiers, which is a pretty big deal as well. 7, 000, uh, 700 tanks, 40,000 mounted cavalry. And then he smote Sobak, the captain, and it doesn't even tell us how many regular foot soldiers they killed. I can guarantee if they killed 40,000 horsemen, there's probably a lot more footmen that died. So this was a major victory and a major defeat for the Syrians. They have lost many of their 33,000 that went out to help Ammon, and now they've lost a huge chunk of their army. And the and verse 18 says, and the Syrians fled before Israel. And when you fled, uh, fled, you would end up dying. You know, your back was turned, you were running. Uh, more people die because they run away from the battle than they than die in most battles. All right, so they're running away, and their captain dies. And then it says, and when the kings that were servants to Hadarazah saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel. And so and so they all saw that they were being beaten, so they then sent ambassadors to David, probably starting at the army, white flags, whatever they used in their day, you know, our equivalent of going forward with a white flag. Uh, okay, we'd like peace. What, what, what are the terms for peace? How much, how much tribute do we have to give you now <laughs> to have peace? What, how many of our cities do we have to give you now to have peace rather than lose any more people? And at this time, they're pretty much willing to do anything to not lose any more lives. And that's going to mean losing cities, losing, losing, you know, having, being disarmed, whatever it might be, and having to pay tribute. And these tribute, David has conquered all these places, they're all paying him tribute, and paying taxes, and their, ta their tributes are gonna be higher than the tribute that his people are paying. And this happens even in today's world, if, if there's a battle and somebody conquers another nation, there's a tribute, there's, there's, there's something that gets paid to the enemy. In the Civil War, when the, when the battle of the Civil War was finished, the South, part of the surrender conditions were that they were going to pay war reparations. They were going to pay for all the damage the war did. 
and they had military governors placed in charge of every single state who ruled the south, the southern states as if they were conquered territory. And they did not get out of that for many years. They, they had, these states had to prove that they were going to be loyal subjects to the, to the gov federal government before they could be accepted as states. So there was a period of time where they were states in name, but they were not able to be represented. They were not considered states because they had rebelled against the, the federal government and they were conquered territory. Which is why the South is still angry with the federal government. To this day, there's anger against the federal government because of the way they were treated at the end of the Civil War. And it is one of the reasons that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, because he was going to bring them back without all these restrictions. And Grant was one who wanted them to pay for what they had done. And, and so, Abraham Lincoln was killed because he was just going to bring them back. He was going to be merciful to them and say, okay, you guys are coming back to states. We expect you to behave from this point forward, but we're bringing you back as full-fledged states. When Abraham Lincoln was killed, the other group had power and they made the South pay. And there's been a divide ever since. And this is what David's going to do here to the Ammonites. He's going to say, okay, or not the Ammonites, the Syrians, okay, you did this. He's probably doing it to the Amorites too. They, they didn't get it scot-free this either. They're going to be paying tribute. Otherwise, they would not have been walked away from. So there's tribute being coming in. David has increased his coffer because these two nations decided to strike first. And not because I think David was trying to go to battle with them. David probably was just going to put embargoes on them and put some tariffs on them and tribute on them. But they decided we're going, to strike, we're going to try to strike first because we think David's going to attack us. This is one of the problems. We get in trouble when we try to figure out what somebody's doing and why they're doing it. The worst thing we can do is put a motive on somebody, something somebody has done. You know, and we do it a lot. Well, I know they said this, but this is what they were thinking. I hear that a lot from people. Well, I know they were thinking something else. How do you know what they were thinking? I have never developed a gift of mind reading myself. Uh, you know, I don't, I've never been able to read people's minds. I may know by their actions that they're a little nasty or mean, but I still don't know what they were thinking. And we in our day and age are starting to put hate crimes, okay? You know, to me, all crimes are hate. But you murder somebody and they go, well, it's a hate crime because you were white and they were black or, they were, or you were black and they were white, so it's a hate crime. You, you hated the race, so now we're going to charge you with a bigger crime because it was a hate crime. And how do you really know what that person was thinking? You don't know what they're thinking. You may think you know what they're thinking. And these people thought they understood David. They thought David was going to attack them, and there's no indication that they were. David's reaction came when he saw the armies being gathered against him. Then he sent his army to defend himself. Usually in their territory, he, he was able to move faster than they were. But he responded to their provocation. How many times do we cause problems because we put a motive on somebody's attitude and then we treat them according to the way we think they were trying to behave? And this happens. Why do we get mad at some people sometimes? It's because we attach a motive. They, they said something and we, we attached a motive. Well, they must really dislike me. Look at, the, look at the tone they put in their voice on that. 
Okay? They had just stubbed their toe and had a bad attitude with you at that moment because they were in pain. But I take it personally and say they're, they're out to get me. And maybe they are, maybe they're not, but I can't put that motive on them. And this is causing problems for these nations against David, and we find it all the time in ourselves. We want to be very careful not to assign motive because usually what the motive is that we assign is not related to them, but how would I react if this was happening? And sometimes that motive we assign is more a re revelation of who I am and what I am inside than who they are. Uh, if this had been done to me, I would have reacted this way, so they must be getting ready to react this way. And that happens to us as Christians a lot of times. People go, well, if I had, treated, if I had been treated the way I treated them, that Christian, I'd be out talking about them. I'd be making sure that they're, they're feeling miserable. And, and so they now will treat us with that same idea because they're not realizing that we're trying to love them and trying to give them mercy and trying to give them grace. And they will sit back and deal with us the way they would have done it in the world. And hopefully if we're a Christian, we're, we're trying to love them. We're trying to give them grace. But they already are thinking, well, you know, if I had said those things, if they, those things had been sent to me, I would have been, I'd gone off my deep end. I would, have, I would have, you know, torn them to shreds and they're looking for that same reaction from us. And if we're giving them a Christian reaction, it blows their mind. They don't understand it because it is not what they would have done. They have put their defenses up to, to protect themselves and defend themselves and or be aggressive if they're worried about us. And we're just stepping back if we're living in Christ and showing them love. I think this is what David, David wasn't going to, every indication was that David wasn't planning to attack. He just responded to their provocation. And they brought, a, they brought this on themselves. How many times do we bring problems on ourselves by the way we think we should behave or the way we think somebody else expects us to behave and we cause problems? I've done it so many times in my lifetime. I react and I do something that brings me bigger problems. I lose my temper and now I've got the problem that my temper created plus the, plus the issue that happened. And I'm going, okay, what's going to happen now? Usually if we just shut up, let God be our defender, and watch. Watch God move and protect. It is so much better. That has been my experience. Just let God defend. Now, if God tells me to speak, I'm going to speak, but it, it, I'm going to need God telling me to speak because usually I will say the wrong thing. I will do the wrong thing. I will make matters worse if I'm not careful. And then it says the Syrians, so the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. All right. Uh, they've been put in their place and they now are living in fear of David. Uh, they're not going to go out to fight David anymore. David has soundly thrashed them. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Thank you for the, uh, this, Lord. Teach us always to treat others with your love and let you be our defense, Lord. Help us to not assign motives and, and activities to people and help us treat them with kindness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.